Uh, one of the drawbacks um, of being on holidays, I know everyone that's not a teacher is like, you're kidding me. Um, we get this mountain of holidays, which is just excellent. The trouble is then when Josh says, um, do you want to preach, like mid-January, and I just look at my diary and say, I've got zero planned for seven weeks. I don't know if I can fit it in. So I sort of felt bad saying no. So I said yes, so here I am. Um, the other bad thing about um, holidays is you just end up watching too much news. Well, I do. I don't know, I don't know if you've watched too much news and you end up um, getting a bit anxious about that. So today I just thought I'd talk about um, government mandates, um, Novak Djokovic's visa, um, hybrid, hybrid um, educational models for when we go back. And I'll just give you my opinion for the next half an hour. Is that all right? No. I will not do that. Thank goodness. Um, actually, I did. True story. I woke up at 4.30 in a bit of a stressful moment on um, Saturday morning. Um, and I was having this dream that I turned up at my in-law's house. And there's people gathering to, to worship. And I was leading worship. But then I was like, no, you're not allowed to lead worship in here. You have to go into the pantry and do it via Zoom. And I'm like, ah, no one set up the Zoom, and it's nearly 10 o'clock. Ah, and this, so I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm nervous about this. Maybe my mind's just weird. I don't know. I did say, Janice, why haven't you set up the Zoom thing? She said, no, it's set up. And then I went in there. It was amazingly set up. So there you go. Which is weird, because we, and then it was like nearly 10 o'clock, which is weird, because we never start at 10, 10 o'clock anyway. But there you go. That's my mind. Um, if you want to, uh, what we will do today is we'll look at scripture, not my opinions about various news things, which is great. Um, so if you want to turn your device or your Bible to Luke 9, um, 57, we're going to have a look at a little passage there. So Luke 9, 57 to 62. I'll just pray as we do that. Dear God, um, thank you. We can gather and just like Dave was praying, Lord, we're, um, we're, we're grateful that we can... Um, yeah, all come together and learn about you, Lord. So I pray you guide us, teach us how to live, Lord, um, and guide us in all we do. And speak words through me today, Lord. Amen. All right, here we go. Luke 9, 57. Uh, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, this is Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied to him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one that puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What a kind of strange passage from the Jesus we, we would like him to be, I think. Imagine that. Imagine if I said, who would like to follow Jesus? And, you know, a few of you put up your hand, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And then I just said, actually, foxes have dens and Jesus has no place to lay his head. What do you even do with that? I don't know. It's a strange one, isn't it? So thanks, Josh, for giving me this passage. But it was good. I could have a good look at it. Um, so what we're going to do for a little while is just go through these three encounters of Jesus is heading on the way with his disciples um, to Jerusalem, where he'll ultimately be um, crucified. And he's cruising along the road. And then there's a record of this interaction with three different people and talking really about discipleship or following Jesus and then Jesus' response to that. So, um, yeah, we'll have a look at the passage for a little bit and then um, I've got a few little thoughts and then we'll be done. 
So um, the first one, the first bloke, um, goes up to Jesus and said, I'll follow you where you'll go. And Jesus responded to him this really perplexing thing of foxes have dens, birds have nests, the son of man has no place to lay his head. And I don't know what we're to make of it. So I researched a little bit, but there's another um, hint in Matthew. There's the same passage sort of recorded. And there's actually a scribe um, that was this first guy that comes up to Jesus and say, look, I'll follow you. And so perhaps, um, and as Jesus um, has this amazing way of seeing past people's um, exterior and just seeing what's in the heart, perhaps just in the fact that he's a scribe, we get this hint of this guy who's, who's basically, um, you know, like a Pharisee and who maybe you could call him like a lawyer of the time that would interact with all the Jewish laws and decide what was right and how much money and all these sort of things would um, and he was probably very wealthy and probably had this place of prominence. So you get this sense um, in this first interaction that it's not just a guy wanting to follow Jesus, but perhaps someone with a different intent thinking, oh, well, here's Jesus, we're about to head to Jerusalem. You know, perhaps um, Jesus and his followers are going to overthrow Rome. Perhaps I can get a place of prominence. Maybe I can get on board with this thing. Um, and maybe as a result... I'm going to do pretty well out of this, as the religious people of the time often did in a bit of an unjust sort of system where the Pharisees um, put in oppressive systems and um, practice in place. So just in that, maybe we can see that Jesus, as he can see just past the exterior, we can see maybe he's talking to the heart of this issue. And that that sort of um, helped me to understand that little first interaction. The man number two... um, he actually approached Jesus and said, well, um, oh, Jesus approached him and said, well, follow me. And this guy said, well, um, yeah, that's fine, but Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And this is also a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Are you kidding? Um, Jesus said, actually, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that's pretty harsh, isn't it? You think, are you serious? Um, don't you care about this guy's dad? Actually, there's a whole lot of sort of Jewish things that we need to take into account there. First of all, um, the guys, like it's sort of idiom or like sayings of the time, the guy's um, father wasn't actually dead um, otherwise, because in Jewish times they didn't have anywhere to put the body, so you'd actually have to bury them the same day. So if the father was actually dead, he wouldn't actually be there chatting about discipleship and following Jesus. So it's actually um, a more of a Jewish thing of saying, that saying of let me bury my father is like, actually, I've got to forget. Actually, I'll follow you, Jesus. But first of all, I've got to do all my family responsibilities and cultural responsibilities. And I'm just going to um, head home and I'm going to do all my things. And then eventually when my dad dies um, in whatever, days, years, um, tens of years, I don't know, uh, then I can sort out the estate, I can sort out everything. And maybe then I'll get around to um, following you. So it sort of sheds a bit of light. Um, R.T. France explains, if the father just died, the son could hardly be at the roadside with Jesus. His place was to be keeping vigil and preparing for the funeral. Rather, to bury one's father is standard idiom fulfilling one's family's responsibilities for the remainder of the father's lifetime with no prospect of his imminent death. This then would be a request for indefinite postponement of discipleship, likely for years rather than days. And so... You know, therefore, we get sort of Jesus' response about that. Actually, um, let people sort out their 
earthly responsibilities, but you know, if you want to be a disciple, it means follow me rather than go ahead and doing all that stuff. And the interaction number three um, comes up to Jesus and said, I'll follow you, Lord. I'll be your disciple. That's great. But first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus re- replied, no one who puts their hands to the plough and looks back is fit for the service of, in the kingdom of God. Which again, is kind of a harsh response on the surface. But, and does God let us go and talk to our family once we become disciples? Well, I think the answer is yes in light of the whole scriptures. In this particular one, again, it's Jesus sees through, I think, the surface in, in this encounter and sees to someone's heart. And he um, seems that Jesus brilliantly understand the real motives for this would-be disciple. And it seems that saying him, let me go back and say goodbye to my family, is really an excuse for delaying apprenticing under Jesus. And no one who puts their hands to the plough and looks back, again, is, is idiom for looking back. Um, I was actually, I grew up, my parents are farmers, so I used to drive big things around in circles, ever-decreasing circles. Um, apparently, like, don't look back when you're ploughing. It's, it's true, because we used to have, it's a lot wider now, but, you know, like 40 or 50 foot wide machines, and, and farmers actually take pride in the fact of how straight their rows are. So when they're driving around the farms, the other farmers look at them, oh, their rows are a bit crooked. And so... If you did um, spend too long fiddling with the radio or looking back, you'd look up all of a sudden and you realise, oh, you know, I'm miles off or I'm missing a bit and then your, your row is out of kilter and then the neighbours might say something. So um, too much looking back is not helpful and Jesus puts this in, the, in light of discipleship as well. If we spend our whole life, of course, some looking back is helpful for us to move forward, but if we spend our whole life looking back, um, it's not really going to get us where Jesus has us to go. So, there's um, some, uh, the passage there. But, so I've got a few just thoughts I wanted to share with you about this idea of discipleship and um, following after Jesus. So first thing I want to just talk about is what is discipleship exactly? Because it's not exactly a word we use um, very much, I don't think, in our culture. Is anyone disciple under someone? I don't know. Another translation from the Greek could be student, pupil, or apprentice, or one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views. I put the word pedagogy in there for all you school teachers, because it's a word that teachers use to make themselves sound like they know what they're doing, but whether they do or not. Um, but it was one who's constantly associated with someone. So... Apprentice is more than just, I mean, a disciple is more than just learning. It's about being constantly associated with. And I know I, I um, fiddled around a bit after school and went to uni for a bit, and then I became an electrician. So I got a job as an apprentice, and then I was an apprentice. And you turn up at work and you know nothing about um, being an electrician. And then I would follow someone around, and they would teach me and show me how to strip wires and connect this to this and don't put the green to the read and and you would spend four years following down around this guy um, and learning everything um, he knows essentially and ultimately forms you into the type of electrician that you become just by the way I won't install your ceiling fan I've let my license go so if you're wanting someone to do that no Um, there you go Um, 
So maybe the word apprentice is a more way to, uh, helpful way to think of it. When we see a discipleship or disciple in the Bible, apprentice, to apprentice under Jesus. Um, so discipleship really involves three aspects. And certainly back in that time, it was common for like a, like it's mainly oral tradition and common for like a teacher to have, um, to be teaching you know, what we now call the Old Testament, they'd go around teaching them and then there'd be this group of people that'd be selected and only the best of the best, you know, only the Melinda Cousins sort of people, the really smart people that can memorise chunks of the Bible would be selected to go to high school and then the best of the best then would follow around and maybe get chosen to be a rabbi and then they would leave what they're doing and follow this person around and learn exactly um, what they know. They would follow them and live with them and eat with them and learn everything that they know to ultimately become like their rabbi, their teacher. That's what the idea of discipleship was about. So the first thing you do is you would learn your rabbi's teaching. You'd immerse yourself in every aspect. And then number two, you'd become like your rabbi. So you'd live how they lived. You'd be imitators and do everything exactly like they'd do it. And then number three, then you would carry on the work of your rabbi um, so ultimately, you would then go and be your own teacher, but be kind of like the same. And that's the call to discipleship, this really immersive, all of the time, um, being part of apprenticing under Jesus. Disciples, Dallas Willard says, discipleship is a process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Someone should come up with what would Jesus do? Armbands, shouldn't they? And put them around there. Um, what year was that? Was that the 90s? That was a big thing, if you're young and don't know what that means. There was all these funny little bracelets and things that Kurong used to sell. But it's actually a good idea. What would Jesus do? Actually, that's what we're called to do, to be disciples of Jesus, to be like our teacher. So that's a little bit about discipleship. Um, next point I want to make is just, um, that Jesus calls us to discipleship, not just conversion. Um, it's one thing to accept that Jesus is, is God and get your sins forgiven, and that's great. If you're not at that point, I encourage you to, to do that, to, to make a decision and understand that and, and own that, and that's fantastic. But discipleship is not that. Um, discipleship is a different thing that's like now, you've, you've perhaps you've made a decision or you've and I'm all for that. That's fantastic, you know. But um, Jesus calls us not just to that, but to go on and be his disciple. And I don't know, I grew up um, around ch um, churches in the late 90s, and it was a lot about just make the decision for Jesus. That was the deal. So the idea of Christianity, what's Christianity? What do followers of Jesus do? We've got to get people to put up their hand and say, yes, I'll follow you. And then once you've put up your hand and yes, then we've got to get everyone else to do the same. And that was it. But actually, there's so much more than that. That's really selling what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple really short because there's so much more. Because um, as, we, as we follow and disciple under Jesus, we get to be part of Jesus' vision for the world, which is so much more than just putting up your hand and and just accepting Jesus. We get to become a community of peace, love, and hope. We get to be one with the creator of the universe and be part of his plan. 
And in John, it talks about us as we surrender to him, we abide in him and we become this weird mystery. We actually become one with the creator of the universe and become one with Jesus. And that's what our call of discipleship is. Not just conversion. Conversion is great. Making decisions. But um, actually the word Christian only appears, the word that's translated into Christian only appears three times in the New Testament, whereas the word that's translated into disciple um, is over 250 times. Giving us an indication about what's this deal about? Actually, it's more than just making a decision. That's great. That's where you start. You know, when I was apprenticeship, I applied for a job and then I was an apprentice electrician. There it is. I was there. But actually, if I stopped there, I would probably be very electrocuted. Um, so there's so much more, you know. There's so much more that Jesus um, would have for us. The next point I want to make is discipleship involves becoming countercultural, And that's really what we pick up from the passage when we see um, the guys essentially saying, I would, I would I'd like to follow you, Jesus, but there's this whole lot of other stuff that's in part of my culture and what we're doing that I actually have to tend to, so probably not now. Uh, probably can't follow you now. I'll see if I can sort a few things out. And then, and Jesus responds kind of harshly to that. Because um, discipleship involves undoubtedly being countercultural. So, what does it mean for us to be countercultural um, and follow Jesus? Not just for the sake of being countercultural, but what about Jesus following Jesus sort of goes against the grain of our culture? Well, there's lots of different things. Um, I find it really interesting thinking about our culture and, and reading stuff. One of the observations that smart people make is that this generation and this, our current culture is one of the most individualistic cultures that's ever been, perhaps. We're really good at building back decks instead of front verandas to welcome people. We want to have our own thing. We're bombarded with messages of you be you, be true to yourself, you can be whatever you want to be about me, um, Billie Eilish, this is for you young people, she's not into it, anyway, this is her big saying, I've always done whatever I want and always been exactly who I am, yay, that's great, and that's a strong message that we see, don't we, um, and we're all part of it, we all grew up, we're all growing up and being part of this culture, um, so what does it mean us to be a, to for us as followers of Jesus to not be so individualistic and think all of, always about ourselves. Um, Temple Logan, Old Testament scholar, writing on Daniel, says, the God of the modern culture is not the God of the Bible, but it's ultimately the self. Meaning idolatry in the West, most of us are not tempted to go and worship Zeus or Thor. But that's not the temptation for most of us. It's to worship to kind of bow down to the self. This strange God demands worship that creates values different from those of Christianity. Since the individual is at the heart of worship of secular culture, personal gratification and self-realization are prized over any sense of other person, any sense of community, whether the community is the family, the church, the city, the nation, or the global community. I was chatting to my year 10s, I uh, take Christian living, um, and we had a really interesting discussion because we put like two columns on there and we said, well, what about following Jesus is like lines up with our culture that our culture would say that's really great. And there's things like caring for the poor and being kind, um, 
even being a bit minimalistic or caring for the planet. That, that sort of lines up with our culture. If you said those sort of things, everyone would be like, yeah, you know, you could post that on whatever um, social media you got and you wouldn't get too much hate, I don't think. Um, but what about other things that Jesus calls us to that might be a bit countercultural? Things like morality or God's vision of sexuality to be confined in marriage. What about considering others greater than yourself? Humility. Paying a cost. Laying down your life for others. Making sacrifices to protect the vulnerable. I'm not sure that those things are so popular um, against UB, UBU. Um, do whatever feels good. You can do it. Just believe in yourself. But she's just got some really interesting thing. Pick up your cross and follow me. For those who want to lose their life will find it. And those who lose it for me will... I wrote that out wrong. You know that bit. The, the upside down thing. If you seek just yourself, you won't find life in that. But as you seek to lay down your life and follow Jesus, actually, you'll find life. How about other things against the culture? How about living life a bit less busy? Just talking to Dave about that before. And he's like, you know, as a result, one of the good things about the whole COVID thing is, you know, we experienced a bit of life less busy. What about the counterculture thing about being less busy, working a bit less to have more margin? What about limiting our distraction, drug of choice, Netflix, alcohol, social media? How about living a life with less debt, being less materialistic? Yeah, having, a, having margin in your life. Dallas Willard again, he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life today. What about other things like really caring for what we buy and the supply chain behind the stuff that we buy? They got coffee, clothing, chocolate, electronics. Um... I love this bit. This is from John Mark Comer. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. So the call of Jesus, which bits of our culture do we need to drop? Which do we need to pick up and embrace in order to follow him? Okay, um, the fourth point I want to talk about is um, in discipleship to Jesus, we find life. So it's not just all hard work um, and going against the grain, which is hard. But as... And people who have been following Jesus for a long time will attest that um, as we lay down our life, that we do for Jesus, that we do actually find it. Actually, when I was like procrastinating, which I'm pretty good at doing on the computer writing this, I was just like, you know, my music playlist on YouTube, um, the Foo Fighters concert at Wembley Stadium came up. And so that was pretty sweet. And I got to watch like Dave Grohl doing his finale in front of 80,000 fans singing, I don't know, Hero or something, or The Best of You, which is just awesome. 
And it reminded me of my career um, as a musician. Um, <laughs> took me back to... <laughs> so I'm not, not sure whether I played Wembley Stadium or the Port Broughton Hotel. One of those. Um, but I do remember um, quite seriously that when I was young, like I gave up football and I grew up in the country and that was a big deal to play you know, music, which is a bit weird. Um, and I came from a footballing family. Um, so I had to sort of give up that football thing because I broke all these bones and no good. So, um, you know, I played piano instead. And, and, but, you know, when I was about Lockie's age, I had sort of similar hair to him, maybe not the same colour, but, you know, young, scruffy kid. It was like, right, I'm going to get a band going and I'm going to make money um, and that's just going to be awesome. And I remember one moment, which, which again is not Wembley Stadium, I get it. All right, but I remember we played this gig at the Port Broughton Hotel and finally, because it takes a lot to learn 45 songs and get that and then market yourself and get paid and all that stuff. So finally we're earning 200 bucks each and um, I remember we played, I don't know if we're any good, probably not. We're playing at the Port Broughton Tavern. I remember like time stopped to like, here it is, um, like everyone was very, very drunk. So they thought we were fantastic. Um, and I just, and everyone was getting right into it and the dance floor was full and it was just this moment where time stopped and I thought, you know, this is what I've always wanted but it's just not what I thought. I don't think this is going to fulfil what I want. Because um, it was just this moment where this is what I'd work for a year to try and get and here it is, this crowd of very drunk people love us and I'm playing and there we go but... There you go. It was somehow strangely unfulfilling. Maybe if I was playing at Wembley, I wouldn't be saying that. But um, the only way, you know, my testimony is the only way we actually find what we really want is actually in discipleship of Jesus as we lay our life down and follow after him. What good if we gain the whole world but lose our soul? Of course, you know, the, the cost of following Jesus, you've got to give up sin, you've got to change your priorities. But being a disciple will bring you life and transform you into a person of love, peace and hope. Indeed, we're transformed into the very likeness of God. Um, in John, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a cost in being a disciple of Jesus, but it's worth it. Maybe also one way of thinking is in reverse, but what's the cost of not being a disciple? What's the cost of not being part of Jesus' um, vision for the world and your life? Um, and the last point I want to make is, um, which is a really important one, is that discipleship is to be done in community and for the sake of others. It's not a means to itself. We don't all just become disciples by ourselves. Actually, I grew up in this area, I don't know whether it was just my listening or not, but it's really popular that, again, being a Christian was, okay, once you get converted, but then the one thing you've got to do is have a quiet time. So you've got to go by yourself and do a bit of Bible, a bit of prayer, and then that's sweet. That's your, that's your um, discipleship. You know, that message was pushed real strong. I'm just not sure that that's that true. That that's the main thing, you know? There is definite benefit of, you know, being solitude and spending some time alone. 
But actually, I think that's part of our individualistic culture coming through into the church, you know. Actually, doing it, because I was never that good at it. I don't like strict routines and structure too much. I like just going with it. Ask Janice. She's had to endure that. Um, but um, I'm not that good at it. I sort of came to this piece about it because we do devotions at work and stuff. And it's like, actually, doing this stuff in community is actually what it's supposed to be about. Um, you know, and so I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad Richmond exists. Bit of tough times at the moment. You know, we're looking for a pastor. Let's um, keep praying for that, you know, and new building eventually in a year or two. Um, but God calls us to follow Jesus and disciple under him, not by ourselves, in community. Just check out how Jesus rolled. He was always with the disciples. The disciples travelled with him wherever he goes. There was moments, of sure, when he disappeared off to have some prayer by himself. But most of the time, everything was in community. And actually, it never says, one of the guys I was reading, never says that Jesus was with just one disciple. He's always with lots. There's always at least a few of them. Um, and he was part of community, always. You know, I'm really grateful for, um, for the community. One of the things, um, Janice and I run a small group, and like... I'm a bit more extroverted than Janice, but sometimes it's hard work if you're dealing with annoying kids all day and then you've got to um, think, oh, now we're going to have people over. And, oh, that's a bit of hard work. But then it's just been one of those really remarkable things where this group of really different people um, that all just gather together and it's just been a really encouraging thing, doing discipleship in community. And Jesus, um, he says in Mark 3 that to Jesus, the church is his family. And God is his father, and we're adopted into his family. So like it or not, we are your family. Um, yeah. And discipleship also is not a means to an end. God gives us community um, to disciple under Jesus so we can look beyond ourselves. This is, again, John Mark Comer talking. Um, which I love this bit. Um, we're image bearers created to rule, to partner with God in pushing and pulling the creation project forward, to work it, to draw out Earth's potential and unleash it for human flourishing, to cooperate with God in building a civilization where his people can thrive in his presence. And in this cosmic agenda, each of us has a vocation, a calling from God, a way that God wired us, something to be and something to do, because the two merge in perfect symmetry. Which is a bit of our vocation there, which sort of lines up in our, with our previous series that Josh was talking about and others. The whole point of becoming a disciple is that we can partner with God in what he's doing for the world, for the sake of the world. So how do we become image bearers, created to rule, to partner with God, to draw our earth's potential and unleash it for human flourishing by becoming a, a disciple of Jesus? And it's interesting, I forgot to mention earlier, it's interesting... Um, that those encounters where you assume those three from our Bible reading that seemingly just didn't follow or disciple under Jesus. They well might have been Christians and believed, but it was a bit, the cultural forces were too strong for him to, them to follow um, Jesus. But that's sort of counteracted by the 12. And I don't know if you thought that's really um, confusing but, and really perplexing, but Jesus would just walk along and say to James and John, hey, Come follow me. And instantly it says, or straight away, they 
put down their nets and followed. That's how we're to follow. Really interesting. Um, so how are we to partner with God? By dropping our nets and becoming a disciple of Jesus. Um, so that's all I've got to say, really. Um, but I've been challenged, really, to think about just my own life. That's really great, being able to um, spend some time being forced to get away from the tennis and, and think about this stuff. Encourage you to do the same as you're approaching the, the year ahead about um, how we're all going at, at being disciple of Jesus. What practices can we put in place this year to become more like a person of peace and love and hope and justice? A couple of things, uh, just as the the disciples of spiritual leaders would do. They would learn their, their rabbi's teachings. How are we going at, at learning the scriptures, understanding the scriptures as Jesus did? How are we going at becoming like Jesus about how he lived? He didn't have anything, no stuff. It's a bit different time. I don't know if God's all calling us to sell a house, but it's a challenge, isn't it? He traveled, fair to say, he traveled really lightly. And what does that mean for us as we seek to disciple under him? And how can we carry on Jesus' work now in our, in our current culture? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you. How are we going at being transformed into people of love and peace? All right, I might just uh, finish up by praying. Uh, if you join me, that would be great. Father of love and peace, thanks that you've called us to follow you, to disciple you, under you, to be an apprentice of you. And thank you that the only prerequisite to being your disciple is a willingness to drop our nets and follow after you. Thanks, King Jesus, that no matter who we are, what we've done, we can all become your disciple. Thank you that as we follow and disciple under you, that we receive life to the full. God, just as we think about the world that we live, Lord, show us how to be a disciple in this crazy time of, of COVID, Lord. What does it mean for us to be people of peace in a time there's so much turbulence and anxiety? What does it mean for us to be a non-anxious presence in a really anxious time. And as we just take a moment about self-reflecting on our own lives before you, God, help us to know what or who we are discipling under, Lord, and help, help us to follow after you, to disciple under you. King Jesus, transform us, disciple into your image. Let us know what you know. Help us to live how you lived and equip and empower you, equip and empower us um, to do ministry and your work for the sake of others and for the flourishing of all people and the planet. Amen.